notice those things that you have energy toward. Because what happens is we go back to this list when it's time to prepare our list of stories. And we want to tell stories that we feel energy toward because stories are an exchange of energy. Starting this list and having a dedicated place gives you something to come to when you know you're going to be able to tell a story. And we'll talk about the audience in a moment, but what you want to be able to do is go through this list and say, based on this audience and what I want them to experience, which one of these can I use to make this idea? Often it is nothing on your list, but the act of having things on your list triggers a whole new idea that you hadn't thought of and it'll help you get there. Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. This is a conversation that's long overdue. I talk a lot about storytelling in my coaching program, but I'm not an expert, and you are. So... <laughs> This is delightful. well, it is like everything in recruiting and interviews. And I, I don't know if they, I'm hoping they sent you the book if you wanted to see it, but I even have a section on storytelling and job interviews because, yes. as we'll talk about, it's how you help the person interviewing you like come away with the right understanding of you. Yes, it is the biggest, it's the biggest block people have. We're going to get there. But before we go there, I'd love to hear your story as to how you became an advocate for stories. Yeah. Tell me. Like now? Yeah. Oh, okay. oh you can take can a sip. Take That's a fine. Okay. I thought you were like, I'm going to ask you this. What, what, are you, <laughs> sure. what are you drinking? What's that? It's a cup from a sporting event that just has water in oh. it. And think about the fact that it would be on camera. I normally change to a more neutral cup in those moments. No, I think we're kind of in sort of similar tones. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what brought me into storytelling? Yes. There's really two two big experiences that did that. First was from when I was a child. So I have two different color eyes. I have a brown eye and a green eye. And it was is my favorite thing about myself. I have a built-in answer to that question. Tell me something interesting about yourself. And as much as I loved it, I started to recognize the moment when other people would notice because their eyes would start to go back and forth between mine. It's almost like their brain was trying to decide, do I look at the brown one or the green one yeah. or the brown one or the green one? And then they would start asking questions like, did you know you have two different colored eyes? As if I didn't know my own eye color. And then it would be, what color eyes do your parents have? do you see the same colors out of each eye or do your eyes give you special powers? Mm -hmm. And this thing that I love then just became this big energy drain and almost a burden because now I'm in this awkward situation that I have no idea how to get out of. They would call other people over and all of a sudden there'd be 10 faces trying to see my eyes and I was not loving it. And I decided the next time it happened, I was going to do something different. When I got that question, how did that happen? I said that I was born with brown eyes and that one night I was in my room coloring and you know how we all had that box of crayons that we throw the broken ones and the 
peeled ones and the perfect ones in. Well, I reached into the box and I pulled out a green crayon and it didn't really smell like anything, but I took a bite of it and had a really interesting texture. So I ate it and I ended up eating all the green crayons in the box. And the next day I woke up and my eye was green. <laughs> and so then I would be quiet and people would laugh, but also like look at me like, is she for real? Because she said it so convincingly, but I just don't think her eyes would change colors. Yeah. And what happened was this incredible shift in energy. You know, I would let him off the hook and say, no, of course, I didn't eat crayons. That's not why my eyes are two different colors. But then we would have a more meaningful interaction and one we probably wouldn't have had otherwise. And so this thing that was then awkward became a moment of connection and bonding and people even realizing they asked me if I saw different colors out of each eye. Oh. <laughs> and so I recognized like, yeah, yeah, yeah. story can be this really interesting way to change our interactions. You yeah. know, it doesn't have to be a big presentation. It can create this moment of relatability. And I used that as I worked on the other side of the desk in corporate roles as a head of culture in GE and a chief learning officer where I was trying to reach 90,000 employees in 150 countries. And I found storytelling was such a helpful way to help touch each person individually and help them relate to experiences, even if they've never had them. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because that first story from your childhood not only breaks the ice, but it breaks the fantasy barrier as well. It makes it so much more interesting than it is, right? And I wonder if, did you change stories? I'm very curious about that situation. Did you, from time to time, would tell a different story? Like, I don't know, crocodile didn't. in my eye no. and it turned red or, or green or, you know. It never occurred to me never. to change it. It was always the crayon. Yeah. I think because the first time I did it, yeah. you know, I was being like a little provocative and okay. cheeky. And I think the response I got was so interesting and more importantly it made me feel like I wasn't on the receiving end anymore yeah. like it was just a completely different interaction but it never occurred to me to tell a different version so it was always that I ate a crayon and yeah. my left eye turned green I uh, missed opportunity for sure there could have been many <laughs> other versions no I think this is an, an insight into the sort of person you are and I'm kind of in this sort of thinking is she a super creative person and I think the lesson here is you don't have to be super creative and go no. into you know so of fantastical ideas it can be just you create i mean i'm gonna use your words you create a toolkit of stories and then you just yeah. repeat them and use them and you can also create maybe a recipe of how to build new stories so you don't have to be super creative you just have to be smart well, I think we're all creative in different ways, right? Yeah. Mathematicians are creative in the, in their way. The only thing I would amend on what you're saying is it's not necessarily about only having the same, you know, five stories you tell over and over. It's about creating stories that feel meaningful for the yeah. audience and you're going to tailor them and change them. So just like when a relative asks you about what you do for a living mm -hmm. and they know nothing about what you do, you tell a very watered down version, almost the same version that you might tell a five-year-old that knows nothing because you know, they just don't understand. But if you're, you know, in maybe a networking event, of people in the same industry that do similar things, you're going to explain it really differently. And so 
you know, your stories do change based on different moments, but you do not have to be this amazingly creative person to do it. In fact, the moment where I started using them more in a work setting came from this incredibly awkward business dinner. Mm -hmm. I'm out of university. I'm asked to go to my first business dinner and I feel like I'm playing the role of grown up going to business dinner and like, oh, okay, well, what's a business dinner like? You know, what do I need to do? And unfortunately, it was a table of introverts. Like we were the introverts of introverts. We're looking around the restaurant and everyone in there is laughing and talking and having a good time. And our table is silent. Anytime someone tries to start a conversation, nothing is sticking. It's just awkward and it falls flat. So we're doing what you do in that moment. We're like picking at our food and taking lots of drinks to avoid conversation. And this guy said... I'm building a deck on my house. And we're all like, wait, this isn't business topic, but it was someone starting this conversation. And he explains that he had to relocate a wood pile to the side of his yard to be able to make space for the deck. And on the third load of filling up the wheelbarrow, he took a log off the stack and comes face to face with a raccoon. He's frozen. The raccoon freezes, hands up, same gesture. They're both in this draw, frozen, terrified of each other. He was saying how funny it was because the raccoon had that mask on it like it was a bandit. Yeah. And they're both trying to figure out what to do. So now our table is laughing and leaning in. Yeah. And he talks about how he takes a step or two back. The raccoon runs off. And so now this awkward dinner has become one where other people are sharing stories about unwelcome house guests. And it leads to more normal interactions. And so it took this incredibly artificial social engagement for people that probably myself included are, are socially awkward and made it be something that was more meaningful and easy to navigate. Right. That didn't require creativity. That just required, you know what? Initiative. A story can work here. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't have to be a business story. Yeah. Any story about life can work. And the funny thing about that guy, he worked for another company. The purpose of the dinner was for our companies to see if we we're going to work together. I always took his call after that dinner because he had the courage to do that. And we all responded and I felt like I knew him. Mm -hmm. And so I was always inclined to say hello and see how he was and, and have a conversation. And I probably wouldn't have been otherwise. Yes, that's so true. So on both stories, the one, the examples that you use, there's that element of surprise as well that catch you off guard. And I think it's really interesting and I enjoy that. And I think my audience would be interested in learning about that because they feel like they always need to be so safe, you know, because of the recruitment and selection process. And in my teaching, you know, I do say, you know, you have to start with a bang. You have to catch people's attention when you have them and not wait until maybe it's too late or you're out of the room. So I, I'd love to talk to you about this idea of the toolkit of endless stories. I'd love for you to share that because what Adam Grant wrote about your book is so true. He said, we all love hearing a great story, but surprisingly few of us know how to tell them. And it's a challenge, especially for my audience when they are looking for work and they have to tell so many stories. Think about every single interview question being a story that you have to use to answer them and give so many examples of so many things they've done in the dot points, in the job applications. And when they're told that they need to have a pitch, you know, they need to have a perfect pitch. And I find that 
it's overwhelming and it could be one of the biggest blocks for career advancement for people to take that initiative and first step to look for work. Do you think the toolkit of endless stories is a good thing to talk about? At this stage, I'd yeah. love to hear your views. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about it in two parts because the, the idea behind the toolkit of endless stories is how do you move through the world and collect potential ideas for stories without knowing when you're going to use them or yeah. who you're going to use them for or through? There's a whole other piece that is as you're preparing stories for job interviews for these different interactions. We can talk about that because there's some, some unique things to consider. The reason it feels really hard to come up with ideas is that our brains are expansive and it's almost like sitting down with a blank sheet of paper and trying to think what on earth we're going to say. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind, can we do a really simple exercise to demonstrate how you can get some ideas? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask you two questions. One is intentionally vague. Just do your best to answer. You know, these are brief, like, you know, 15, 20 second answers. The first question is tell us about your childhood. I was raised in Brazil and I lived between the Amazon forest and my grandparents' farm. It was Ooh. really fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Okay, yeah. second question. What sound or smell remind you of home? Teen, which is a little perfume <laughs> from, I, I can't remember the brand now, but when I smell that perfume, I immediately think of my lunchbox. <laughs> oh, now I, I want to know more. Why does it make you think of your lunchbox? Because I had a holy hobby lunchbox, as we all did in the 70s. <laughs> and my my grandparents lived in Washington, D.C., and I used to get these fancy gifts that did not exist in Brazil, like a holy hobby metal lunchbox that I was the only one who had it. And it was so cute because I, I remember sitting on it and waiting for my mom to get in the car and then getting mm -hmm. in the car with her. And I think she sprayed me with that perfume before I went to school. So I, it's, yeah. Oh, that's so Isn't wonderful. Isn't it funny? Okay. Yeah. And, and oh, oranges. I, I also, you know, there's a type of orange that if I smell it, I go straight back to childhood. Completely. Yeah. And there's reasons for that. Our sense of smell yeah. is most associated with memory more than any other sense. And we'll talk about We'll talk about what's happening there. The reason I asked you these is that the first question was intentionally vague. Mm -hmm. So when I ask you, tell us about your childhood, your brain almost says like, what part? Like childhood spans 20 years. Where mm -hmm. do you want me to focus? And most often responses are very similar to what you said. I grew up here. I lived in this type of housing. These relatives were around me yeah. because we give a really general answer because too hard to know where to focus. Mm -hmm. But when we ask something really specific about sound or smell, you immediately went to that smell of the perfume and the lunchbox. And, and there could be 10 different stories there made me think of my holly hoppy things and the thermos that you can never get off and someone had to come and open for you. This is what happens when we're trying to think of a story and we're under pressure or we're just not sure what to tell. It's that first question of what story can I tell for this recruiting moment? Our brains are like, but what, what file do you want us to access? There's so many possible things. I don't know. 
And constraints help you come up with ideas. So by narrowing this particular topic to sound or smell, it then allows for you to come up with endless ideas that you could keep going down and come up with stuff. And so we want to do something similar when we are starting to create our toolkit. Mm -hmm. First, you want to identify a place to capture ideas. It might be an app, a spreadsheet, a notebook, post-its, whatever works for you. You want to have a place to put them because you want to focus on coming up with the ideas and not remembering them. Mm -hmm. Then then you want to sit down and you want to start asking yourself questions or prompts that are meant to constrain. So think about your personal life and think about maybe the first concert you went to. What is something that you should have gotten rid of, but you just can't part with? Yeah. And you're going to work through these different experiences. And it's a little slow at first, but then it gets faster. And you're just going to write a phrase or the idea. Mm. You're not writing a full story. You're not worrying about when you're going to use it or how you're going to use it or who you're going to tell it to. Mm -hmm. Your goal is to get a volume of ideas, work through your professional life. What was your best experience, you know, best leader, difficult moment, hardest day. There are endless stories in there. As you move through the world, if there's a documentary that you love or an article you read or a podcast, like notice those things that you have energy toward. Because what happens is we go back to this list when it's time to prepare our list of stories. And we want to tell stories that we feel energy toward because stories are an exchange of energy. Starting this list and having a dedicated place gives you something to come to when you know you're going to be able to tell a story. And we'll talk about the audience in a moment. But what you want to be able to do is go through this list and say, based on this audience and what I want them to experience, which one of these can I use to make this idea? Often it is nothing on your list, but the act of having things on your list triggers a whole new idea that you hadn't thought of and it'll help you get there. And once you start this, you create this habit, you then have this ongoing list that makes it so much easier anytime you're going to tell a story to come up with one and generate new thinking. Yes. So the lesson here for the audience, as I see it, Karen, is if you are a professional, right, and you're, you're, you're ambitious about your career, or you just want to make sure you have a job, you know, year in, year out, it is a good idea to capture what the stories that are coming up every month, every year, you know, sit down and write down the great things that, that you've achieved in your job this month, write down the things that brought you joy, the things that you didn't like so much, you know, the achievements in terms of data and metrics. It may sound like a useless exercise right now, but then three years from now, when you lose your job, <laughs> you will really want to remember the data and the achievements and the things that brought you joy and things that didn't as you were reflecting. Yeah. And, you know, because when you when you lose your job, and I say this often because that's what I do, you go through a stage of grief right. and you wake up in the morning every day and you forget that you don't have a job anymore. And then you go through it all over again and you open your inbox and there's nothing there. <laughs> and, and it's very hard in these yeah. moments to remember yeah. the wonderful things that you have done exactly. because you're feeling stress and stress constrains our ability to think. Exactly. I would build on what you said with two things of treat this like you should go in and update your CV every year because then it's not a painful exercise to sit and do it. Mm -hmm. So yes, you should. You also want to capture what you learned. So don't just capture, you know, here's what the situation was and, and what made it complicated because that's going to be a part of your stories when you're telling them in interviews. But you want to talk about the impacts, but what you learned. Because yes. the reason to use stories 
in the whole recruiting process is it is building the interviewer's understanding of you. As the candidate, you are helping them come away with what you want them to understand and know about you. If you don't, you're leaving it up to them to do their own interpretation. And we all have so many different experiences. They're probably not going to be coming away with it the way you would fully want it. Yes. And so by taking the opportunity to describe here's what the situation was and here's why it was so complicated. Here's what I did, the impact and what I learned. It helps them know what to do with you. It helps them start to see, mm -hmm. can I see them for this role? Can I understand where they would go? It's connecting the dots and building that understanding in a really important way. But even a step before those is to stop and think about what are three words or phrases that you want them to come away knowing about you. And don't do like conscientious because everybody does that. You want these to be memorable. Yes. So I might choose like, I am a tour guide of storytelling. Yeah. I'm going to take you to new destinations and you're going to learn different things along the way. What's going to happen is if I define these, and I work these phrases into my answers like, well, you know, you can think of me like a tour guide of storytelling. Here's what I faced. Here's what I did. They're going to remember that. They're going to remember mm -hmm. tour guide of storytelling. And that's going to help when there are several candidates in one day. Yes. Yes. I think you touched on an interesting conundrum here for candidates is that they're very fearful of being niched down because they think that if they're being going to be niched down, that they're going to lose opportunities. And my biggest work is to educate them that being memorable is more important than being a generalist and that the recruiter will identify opportunities that are maybe outliers to that niche and come to you and say, I know you said you were a tour guide of storytelling, but... You know, I have an, an, an interesting opportunity here and your name came to my mind and they, but it's, they still know that you have that niche, but they will then do the dotted line towards something a little bit outside of that. I think that's an easier game to play than you saying you can do too many things. I can do storytelling. I can do yeah. normal HR. I can do psychology. Like, you know, like doing too much, it confuses the audience, right? It does. And also they're going to niche you down in their minds mm -hmm. for better or worse. We all have different experiences. So yeah. when we're taking information in through our senses, they get stamped with emotions and stored in our long-term memory. So this is where the sense of smell is really powerful mm -hmm. because we smell a fragrance that reminds us of a loved one or a memory and it places us right back in that time. It's because those experiences were st that sense of smell was stamped with those emotions. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, you know, when you're taking a photo on your phone, immediately stamped on the photo is the date, the location, the f-stop, the size of the photo. Like all of these things are immediately there right. for recreating without you doing anything, something kind of similar happens in your brain as you are taking in experiences, they get stamped with emotions and stored in long-term memory. Mm -hmm. So what happens when someone encounters someone new, when they're interviewing someone for a job, when you're trying to process data, because this goes beyond recruiting, 
subconsciously, our brain is going through this library of files and they're trying to make sense of what's in front of them. Mm. Our brains hate for things to be incomplete. So they are always trying to predict and make assumptions. The faster the brain figures out what something is, the faster it can conserve calories, which it always wants to have this slush fund to be able to keep the body moving and running efficiently. So for better or worse, that means we are all making these assumptions about who people are and what they are and how they show up. And those assumptions are based on our experiences and your experiences are different than mine and different from someone else's. So when you're not telling the story in your interviews, you are leaving it up to them to just use their own experiences to fill in the gaps. Yeah. When you tell a story, what you're doing is connecting them to these other related files and helping them understand where you fit in and helping them recognize, okay, I can see what you would be contributing, where you would be adding value to the team, the organization. I can see that. Mm -hmm. And when you get to that part of what I learned in your answer, after you've described the context and why it was hard, what you did, the impact and what you learned, that what you learned, you can connect back to the role or what you desire. Because so let's use the tour guide of storytelling. And let's say I was, I don't know, going for a marketing role. I would, you know, keep thinking of me of tour guide of storytelling, whatever my project was, impact, result. And here's what I learned from that. I can connect that back to the roles that I'm interested in. And that can minimize some of the niches where you feel like you're you're being taken out of consideration for other things. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do that. Each person is going to fill in the gaps based on their own understanding, and some of that won't be the way you would want it. Yes, that's so important in a job interview and for my candidates and my listeners to to pay attention to because that information that you've just shared, together with something you mentioned before about they're going to niche you down, they're going to make their own decisions. When there is a big elephant in the room, like the situation with your eyes, right? The two colored eyes. Yeah. People are not, are going to stop paying attention to what you're saying and start thinking about other stuff. What's her accent? Where's Renata from? Oh, look at her eyes. They're different, you know? And some things are very obvious and I call them the elephants in the room. So it could be the accent, it could be your age, it could be that you're on the autism spectrum, it could be anything like that. And one of the hardest decisions that we need to make as as candidates is do we bring it up and get that over and done with? Or is it worth it or not? My recommendation to my clients is always very, very tailored, but we have many times decided to bring it up. You may be able to tell, I'm not sure, but I'm in the autism spectrum and that's my superpower. And these are the reasons why I can do this job so well. It's because I have this and that, you know, like you have to, but some clients, I have a few on the diagnosed with ADHD. Some of them are comfortable sharing that some are not yet, and maybe they don't need to. Right. So yeah, I listened to one interview you've done before about the sharing of personal stories. And that is mm. something that really stuck with me. And I wanted to ask you because some personal stories we may need to tell. I've worked yeah. with yeah. candidates that had to say, you know, I transitioned two years ago. You will know that when you hire me, because some of my old documents have my previous name, <laughs> you know, like sure, you have sure. to bring it up. You don't want to, yeah. but what can you do? Right. 
So let's touch on a couple layers to it. And if my mind goes blank, remind me. First, I want to talk about what's happening in the interview, the interviewer's brain. And then I want to talk about what to consider when when you should tell a story or when you shouldn't and how to do it. So the interviewer's brain will go and drift off, just like our brains drift off, no matter how we try to focus and pay attention in a meeting or in maybe in university and lecture or as someone is reviewing data, Mm -hmm. our brains drift off and it's because our brain is lazy. The goal of the brain is not to keep you fully immersed and focused all day long. The goal of the brain is to keep the body running, to keep all of your systems and your body regulated and make sure that everything is good. And that's why it is the the broker of calories for the body. So some are non-negotiable to keep you breathing and keep all your systems running. And then there's the bonus fund, which it chooses to allocate when it wants to effort and attention and focus. And this is why we naturally drift off. Our brains are meant to not be fully immersed all day, every day, every minute, every hour. It's quite natural for us to pay attention, drift off, pay attention, drift off. So what's happening in the interviewer's brain is that you might start talking, I might start talking and and you might think, well, she has a different accent. And then it either continues that thought, I wonder what that accent is, I wonder where she's from, or it's a very quick Oh, she has a different accent. Mm-hmm. What is going to be the difference in how far they go down off on this meander is what you're saying. Mm. So a really well-told story makes the brain not be lazy. It makes the brain decide we want to spend calories here. So if I am describing to you about a project in my last role and why it was challenging. And I'm telling this in a way where maybe there's some unexpected pieces in this. Maybe you're relating it, you know, I'm relating it to like the Holly hobby, right? We're using these things that are so familiar that the brain is like, oh, pay attention. Right. Then what happens in these moments is like, oh, she has a different accent, Holly hobby. Mm. And you're back in it. Right. And so this is where storytelling is so impactful because you can get the listener's brain to choose to spend calories when it is well told. It's not enough to tell a story the way you tell one is going to make a difference. And so putting in tension, which is some unexpected details, helping build towards like what was the conflict and what did you do, engaging the senses, all of these things done well allows for that person to come back. Mm-hmm. So be mindful of that. Your goal is always get them to spend calories. Now, there will be some moments that you're going to choose. Do I want to share a personal story or not? And my my mantra is that every story is personal, even if you're telling someone else's. But personal doesn't mean private. And I do believe that audiences have to earn the right to hear our stories. You're not obligated to tell every single person every personal story about us. And so I feel like that's important to recognize. I do think when you're interviewing for a job, there are some circumstances just like you described that it will be helpful to share, to get in front of it because you want to control the understanding that goes in the interviewer's head versus them filling in the gaps based on their understanding. And so the key in these moments is you're not just sharing whatever your news is, but you want to explain it in a way that is helping that interviewer understand what to think about it. So they're gonna be concerned about, what does this mean for the job? Can you do this work? Does this impact anything? Is there anything unique we need to consider? So if you maybe have ADHD and you are choosing to share that, you wanna just connect to 
what that is like so that the manager understands how to leverage you at your best or the person mm -hmm. on the spectrum sharing like this is my super power and here's how you can take advantage of it right you're giving them the blueprint that i think is the most helpful piece of control that narrative choose it and share it in a way that that manager knows what to do with it and it's not just you're leaving it up to their assumptions yeah. and if it is something that feels private you don't have to do it i have a friend that is a breast cancer survivor she was interviewing for a job and it's a very big part of her identity and she felt like i i need to share this in the interview and i said but why do you want to share it and she realized she didn't want to share it and i said that's okay yeah People have to earn your stories. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I guess, you know, the sharing of the stories is important in the context of job interviewing if they can negatively impact the outcome for me. So if people will be biased one way or another, and I have felt that personally with my accent, up until the, the last year I was looking for work, which was, I don't know, 2016, 17, they would ask where I was from and they would still ask, did I have any plans to go back to my home country in like very senior interviews. So I then, you know, now teach people not only to share where you're from and share that you have your citizenship. So I have clients in the US, they're from other countries, they have accents, and I tell them, you know, I am originally from Germany. I got my American citizenship two years ago. I'm a dual citizen and my goal is to get another job in New York because that's where I'm raising my family. That's where my partner is from. So, you know, instead of making the, the recruiter's mind think, do we want to invest in this guy because he might go somewhere else? You anticipate all of their second guessing of you. And you just bring that forward and you reinforce that this is really, you are the best candidate and you are staying and you're not going anywhere. So that's the idea really in sharing personal stories, only if they will add value towards you being shortlisted or you being appointed. 100%. Because we will be making these assumptions, right? The yeah. brain is trying to figure out what to do with you. And so I completely agree. You're trying to minimize any assumptions that go in the wrong direction. Yes. The other thing that happens in recruitment and selection is that the storytelling format is so structured. That star format, situation, mm. task, action, result, is built into softwares now. So oh, yeah. there are, um, I, I don't know if you're aware, I think it started in Australia, it's now used worldwide, but there are professionals being interviewed by chat. So a chat box open up and they have a question and you have to give an answer and they are behavioral questions and the star yeah. format is being built into the software, the algorithm. Yeah, oh. let's let's talk about how to work with that. Yeah. It's not my favorite, but you <laughs> can use it. So, so yeah, think of it like you're cooking a dish and you have ingredients and you're going to add some things to make it better. Yeah. So you can't change the ingredients you have, but we can add to it. Mm -hmm. The star format can be very transactional. So when you're describing the situation, I want you to, you know, this is the same, right? You're giving the context for what's happening. T is task, right? Yes. Task. T is task. Um, With most of my clients, I change that to strategy because they're senior executives. So it's usually yeah. situation, strategy, action, results. Or the, but, you know, task is, is good too, and it's the most used. 
Yeah. So what you want to do in the situation or the strategy is what makes this complicated? Do you want the interviewer to understand what was at stake? What happened if you didn't do anything? We're not just talking about, yes, I had this job. You want to get into those complexities because that's actually the conflict of your story. And that's part of what's going to make the brain pay attention, but it also gives it weight. And we can't assume that people know that. And so as you're describing the strategy and why you're there, what's being asked of you, you want to really bring that forward because that's going to make a difference. Action, of course, you want to share what you did. If you have framed up what is making this complicated, that brings even more meaning to the action that you've taken. Mm-hmm. Same with results. The thing in results, especially if you're doing this in chat, is you have to add in what you've learned because the combination of adding that conflict and what you've learned makes it have a different landing for people experiencing it because now they understand it in a more significant way. In a chat, it's hard. If you're doing this live, you can try to work in details that are going to be very familiar to people and make sure they're following along. So the Holly Hobby example was a great one. As you're describing the situation and the challenge, you know, if there's something that feels relatable that you can connect to what the the interviewer understands, that's going to have their brain pay attention. Mm-hmm. When you're describing what you've learned that's not just about you. It could be what you learned about. It's a chance to reinforce what you've learned about leading. It's a chance to learn what you are thinking differently about the future or strategy. Like there's so many different ways to play with these and help really elevate the star to be that much more meaningful for the people on the receiving end. Yes, that's great. And the other thing that makes recruitment these days so hard and we can't not talk about it is the fact that most interviews are done just like this podcast is being done, you know, online. And the technology adds a really different flavor to your ability to connect, right? So if you and I were face to face, we would be, you know, mimicking each other's body language if you were connecting. I would be able to tell more clearly if you were done with talking with me and if you're ready to go just by the way that you position your body. And and we just intuitively know these things. Whereas with the video format and the online meeting format, it's a bit harder. Do you have any tips on how to deal with technology during storytelling? And it could be for job sure. interviews, but it could be for yeah. presentations as well. Yeah. First thing I'm going to show you, I have a little fidget toy that I've been playing with below the camera that you have no idea I've been doing this. So sometimes we feel anticipation or a little anxious for some of these things. I choose this one because it's quiet. It's rubber. You can't hear it, but it gives me something to do. Now I try to be mindful of, you know, I don't want it to show up in my upper body and I I want to express and and use my body. But that is one of the benefits. There is a lot that can be happening down here that can allow for you to calm or regulate yourself. I have another squeeze toy. So make sure you're not making noise. But if something like that is going to help you, so right now I'm squeezing that ball below the camera, you have no idea. If something like that is going to help you, plan for that and do that. Second thing, true for in-person or virtual, is have water. If possible, have it be something where you have to unscrew the cap because we feel an extra sense of pressure when we're asked a question and trying to think of an answer when we're on camera. Our brain works slightly differently than if we're in person. It's a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. 
you are allowed to stop and think and you know great ways to do that are let me just take a moment to think about that and it's hard because i know some of the interviews are timed and you just have a, a split you know flash of a window to be able to do it but to the extent you can allow yourself to do it and the benefit of water is if you are having a hard time getting your thoughts going stop pick up your water unscrew the top take a drink this is buying you seconds where you can then say to yourself what is one thing i can add here yeah and get your brain back moving additionally you'll have notes and stuff the biggest thing is that my personality has been coming through in the session today i'm using facial expressions i'm raising my eyebrows i'm smiling i'm laughing i'm leaning forward you see me move my hands it's not the same as if we're in person but i'm also not sitting very tightly and you get none of that yes you can bring your personality through and use your inflection you know test your headsets make sure your audio quality is good you don't want any of that detracting but do the same things you would do in person yes. use the gestures that will change the inflection in your voice try playing with the pace and the volume of your voice the way you're going to construct and tell the story isn't any different but it's all of the visual mediums that you can take advantage of being on camera mm. that work. And I will tell you, I stand. Standing puts more air into my lungs. I'm going to be that much more animated. I'm going to sound more confident because I can fill my lungs with more air and speak in a stronger voice. Mm -hmm. And so that often is helpful too when you can be standing and fully focused. Camera at eye level. You don't want them looking up. Eye level is always best and helpful. Yes. If you're listening to this in audio, I strongly recommend that you go to our YouTube channel and find the video so that you can see all the things that we've been talking about. And this is really important. I think even the background as well, I think is so important. It can tell a story. Your background has your book. It has a, a pot plant. And I, I think it's important for us to pay attention to these details these days because they are going to tell a story about you and talking about your book i had a question about your book where did the title come from the perfect story why did you choose the perfect story i did a ted talk a few years ago in the last line of the ted talk is don't wait for the perfect story take oh. your stories and make them perfect right. so it's a little bit of a play on words and the perfect story doesn't exist it's yeah. not sitting on a shelf ready for you to buy it we think that we see people that are such gifted storytellers and we think like i can't do that they just naturally do that but the secret is they did not. That story became perfect because they worked at it and they practiced it. And so I want people to recognize that anyone can tell a great story by making, taking their stories and making them perfect. I love it. And your TED Talk is fascinating. I really enjoyed listening to it. I've listened to some of your other interviews as well. I think your book is perfect for my audience. I will have a link to it in the episode show notes. Storytelling for corporate professionals is undervalued. And, and also there aren't professional development programs for it. I remember when I arrived in Australia, I had a great boss and mentor, and he made me do half a dozen English courses, you know, like it was, he wanted my English to be perfect. And thanks to him, it's as good as it will get. <laughs> but storytelling, thankfully, is, is part of my family's DNA. So that came with, you know, with my genetics. But I, I think there's so much that you can learn 
by observing how others tell story, observing the best stories that you enjoy watching or listening to or reading about and seeing how they're framed and then deciding, okay, how, what can I adapt to my personal style, to my professional environment and to my audience? We didn't talk about something that I think is also important. I mean, we kind of did. When I decided story telling stories was important for me professionally was when I was a research officer applying for grants. And this is important for the audience because when you're going through a selection process, different things or individuals will be reading your story. Normally, the first thing is going to be a bot in the ATS software. Mm -hmm. And then the first person will probably be an HR talent acquisition person. She's in her mid-20s. She's young. She has, you know, keywords and a position description that she's trying to match you with. And then it might be her boss, the HR partner that deals with the hiring manager, and then it's the hiring manager. And understanding that you need to speak differently to each one of those and include the keywords because of the software and then ask different questions, let's say, from the first call from the talent acquisition manager and the final call from the hiring manager. The questions are different. Just those nuances that are so obvious to me and to you as well, it's not as obvious to my audience yet. I'd love your views on that. On how to tailor the story each time or? How to prepare yourself and think about those different stages. I don't know. I, I, I might be asking. Yeah, 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 you. yeah. No, no, no. It's totally fair. And really what we didn't touch on yeah. is where stories start because stories always start with the audience. Even when you know the story you're going to tell, which is going to be about your career and different experiences in your career, mm -hmm. your story always starts with your audience because you're going to tell it differently each time. Yeah. So when you know you have an interview, you will know who some of the people are and you won't know who some of the people are. And what you walk through is very helpful of what the, the levels of screening are. So you know for the bot interview the the goal is to pass through the keywords and demonstrate the experience to get to the next level you know the mm -hmm. junior recruiter is that next level of wanting to see those things and so you want to be able to tell a story that they can relate to and then you're going to get into a much more in-depth story as you get to that hiring manager and colleagues what you want to do though for each of these rounds is prepare four sentences to help you get really clear on what you want the experience to be so you are going to ask yourself, what do I want the audience to think or feel and write a sentence for that? So what is that internal shift? And maybe it's confidence towards you or intrigue or excitement, you know, just yes, let's move them forward. Second question, second sentence you're going to write is what do you want them to know or do as a result of your story? Most likely that is, you know, move you to the next round, extend an offer, might be have a conversation. What you're trying to do is get to what is that outcome you want for the audience? What do you want them to know, think, feel, or do? Mm -hmm. Then you want to write a sentence for what is their mindset today? And fourth sentence is what might be an obstacle. Mm. They're not going to think or feel anything, you know, other than checks the boxes, know or do, 
you want them to move you forward. You want them to see that there's enough of the the keywords and that it's a demonstrable fit for what the position is. Mm-hmm. Mindset today, hard. It's a bot, but you know, the mindset is it's it's going it's mindset and potential obstacles are kind of the same with the bot because it's only gonna have a, a limited number of words and things that it's been programmed for the mm-hmm. position. But get the basic there. So now we're on to the junior. HR person. So you want this person to feel positive towards you, feel that you have this experience, you know, you want them to know that you are right for the role. Mindset today, they might not know anything about the industry. They might not know enough about your experience, which could also be an obstacle of how are you going to relate your stories to them? So you start doing this through each of the layers and you would get more specific as you know the people. And then what happens is you start preparing your tell me about a time, your toolkit of ideas, and you want to consider as you're laying out the model, what it is in your story that you are doing to make sure you are helping them move forward. So what should happen when you start building out your story and you have the situation, the strategy, the action, the result and learning is that the learning By the time you get to the learning and what that you want the interviewer to take away, that should map back to what you said you wanted the audience to know, think, feel, or do. So if you haven't done that by the time you write the story and get to the point where you've included the results and the learning, then you need to put more in the story. You need to structure the story different so that you can almost connect the dots back. Those four questions will help you prep, by the way, not just for interviews, it's a great tool anytime you have a communication or a meeting. I love that. And if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, this is such hard work, it's not. It will be hard work the first few times you do it, and then it will become a natural way of preparing. You know, you you won't need to do as much preparation in the future because you're just going to naturally go into those questions in your mind. Yeah. And they're not meant to be lengthy. It's meant to be five minutes or less. Yeah. Excellent. I love this conversation so much. I can't wait for, to release it. I can't wait for the audience to, to hear you, Karen. Thank you so much for making the time today. I'm delighted to have you know this chat with you and be connected with you now. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience before we go? It can feel uncomfortable sharing stories in interviews. It can feel a little bit like me, me, me. But the point is you're using them to build the understanding in the interviewer. And the more you use them, you'll start to notice what people respond to. And hopefully you'll tell more of them. Yes, wonderful. Thank you so much once again. Great to know. Thank you. Likewise. 